All right, man. Thanks. Hey, thanks. We uh, talk a lot about leadership around here. And one of the things that is an important part of leadership is being an authentic leader. And so today I want to step out into something that's uh, new for me, something that maybe you haven't ever heard from too many leaders. I'm glad we've got models here like President Hagan and Dr. Graham and others, but I've got a task today to share uh, the authentic side of me, and I want to do that. And the title of this uh, message and this talk today is, What Are You Doing Here?, I want us to take a look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, 19, and I'm not going to read it to you. We're just going to get the highlights of it here today. But we're basically introduced in chapter 17 of 1 Kings to this great prophet named Elijah. And Elijah uh, bursts onto the scene by the first thing he's told to do is to go to King Ahab and tell this king that it's not going to rain for a while until God says it's going to rain. You see, Ahab had uh, married this woman named Jezebel. How many of you have ever heard the name Jezebel? No one names their kids Ahab and Jezebel, and you're going to find out why today. They set up these uh, false gods and idols, and uh, the biggest one that they worshipped was a guy named Baal and uh, Azra, and they set up these poles. They tore down the temples of God. They did all these horrific things. In fact, the Bible says that Ahab was so wicked that God uh, became so angry at him more than any other king in history. So this is the king that Elijah goes to, and he tells him it's not going to rain. Then he goes into hiding for a while, and uh, he's out there, and he gets fed by ravens. Maybe you've heard that story. Hey, if, you don't, if you've never read this, and you're looking for something to read this week to inspire you, I'm just giving you the highlights here real quick this morning, because I've got several things I'm going to do. Go read uh, this story in detail. There's more than I could ever do in the few minutes that I've got today. I just encourage you with that in your private time. So he, uh, after three years has gone by, it still hasn't rained uh, he's in hiding now. Uh, Jezebel has killed every single prophet of God. There's 450 Baal prophets, 400 prophets of Azra. They're running around. They're being fed. They're being well taken care of. Elijah's out hiding somewhere, uh, staying with the widow, getting some food. After three years, the king is desperate for water. He sends his uh, chief of the palace out to go find water. He goes one way, Ahab goes the other. This guy named Obadiah, who's not the prophet that we learn about later, Obadiah goes out and he sees Elijah and he says, hey, good to see you. What's been going on? He says, well, it's good you, you found me because I'm going to tell you what, I need to talk to Ahab again. So he goes and talks to Ahab and he tells him as he goes up to meet him, Ahab walks up to him and goes, hey, Good to see you, troublemaker. How'd you like to be greeted like that by the king? So Elijah says, hey, I'm not the problem here. You are. You're the one that set up all these false gods and everything. Here's what we're going to do. Let's have a showdown. Let's meet at Mount Carmel, and you bring all your prophets. You invite everybody uh, from the whole nation to come. And by the way, just like the prayer meeting you set up at Grand Rapids, nobody knew about it, but boy, everybody showed up. No internet, no texting, no Snapchat, no nothing. Boom, everybody was there. We're going to see what's going to happen. There's this moment then in chapter uh, 18 where this great story, so many incredible details in this thing that are amazing, where they set up uh, their, their own altar and they're going to, whoever, whatever God casts down fire is the winner. 
So you go first, Baal. They put their uh, sacrifice on the altar. They rant and rave and dance around. In fact, one of their customs, the Bible says, was that they cut themselves. So they're flailing, they're moaning, they're groaning, they're raving, and they go on for four hours. After four hours, Elijah says, well, I guess your God's asleep. I guess he, maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. Is he relieving himself? What's going on? Where is this Baal? Four more hours go by, nothing happens. Now, Elijah says, fine, my turn. He sets up the altar. He puts 12 stones around it to represent the tribes of Israel. He then tells them, look, I know we don't have much water, but I want you to take four pitchers and pour it on top of this altar. They dug a trench around the altar, so they poured four pitchers on it. He says, do it again. They pour four more. He says, do it three times. They pour 12 uh, pitchers of water upon this altar. And then he prays. God sends down fire, and the Bible says that it was such a fire that it burned up the altar, the wood, the dust, and the stones. It licked up the water in the trench. And in that great moment of victory, Elijah then says, seize the prophets of Baal. They took them down to the valley and they killed them all. And he says, king, get ready. It's going to rain. So the king gets ready. He takes off. Elijah prays. Boom, rain's coming. He said, we better get out of here because it's going to be raining so hard. We're going to have a flash flood running right through this valley. If you know anything about it, if you've been to the Israel, you've been to Bible lands, yeah, give me a shout out for Bible lands. This summer, we got some more going. If you know anything about that country, man, it'll flash flood right through there. So they're off running. Elijah's in a hurry. God gives him strength. It says that he's got so much strength in his body, he outruns Ahab's chariots and gets into safety. All this happens in one day. This is his greatest moment, his triumph, his greatest victory with God. And that night, he gets a message from Jezebel. And she says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out like you took out my people. And what happens? This man who's had this incredible victory, all this fire from heaven, burning up stones, outrunning a chariot, it says he was afraid. He feared for his life. How can that be? How can you turn around that quickly? I'll tell you why. Because you're a human being. You've got some feelings and emotions, and the enemy will attack you. I don't care who you are. Just as our president talked about the demonic forces that are alive, you best be aware that he's out there looking to get you. And he jumps on Elijah in his moment of weakness. Elijah is so afraid that he takes off and goes outside of town, spends one night there to try to figure out what to do, tells his servant, you stay here, I'm going on a journey. He takes off to go to Mount Sinai. At the end of the desert, where Mount Sinai, if you might know, is where uh, Moses and the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments and started their journey through the desert. He's on his way. He gets about a day out, right, in this hot, boiling sun, and he's exhausted, so he's looking around, and I got a picture of this tree I want them to put up right now. He finds this solitary broom tree. This one little tree, and he crawls under it to get a little nap. While he's sleeping, the angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up and says, there's some water, here's some food for you. And right there on the spot, there's bread, there's water. He eats, he goes back to sleep. You want to know something? When you're exhausted physically, emotionally, psychologically, you sleep, don't you? You try to. You can sleep at at the drop of a hat because you're just beat. And so Elijah is just beat. Everything has just come down on him. 
The angel wakes him up again and says, one more time, I want you to eat because you're going to need it for the journey you've got ahead of him. And so he eats again, and the Bible tells us that it was enough food for him to last for the next 40 days and nights. God gave him enough food, just bread and water. So the next time you think you need a bag of Doritos, you're wrong. Just bread and water, if God's in it, will be enough to get you where you need to go. And he travels for 40 days and nights alone in the desert to get to Mount Sinai. I don't know about you, but I couldn't go anywhere for 40 days and nights by myself. Just think about it. Most of you can't spend five seconds without something. Get your phone out, check who's around, what's going on. If you spend two hours alone, you're freaking out. 40 days and nights, there's no internet, there's no texting, there's no nothing. It's just you, you want to know what it is? It's just you and God in your head and your heart, walking, walking, walking. He gets to Mount Sinai, and he finds a cave, and he crawls in that cave. And while he's in that cave, he's sleeping again. And God wakes him up, and he says, what are you doing here? I'm not making this up. It's in here. Read it for yourself. What are you doing here? He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper, and a voice said, what are you doing here? Notice God didn't say crawl back in your cave. He said go stand on the mountain. And while he was there, there was the earthquake, there was the fire, there was the wind, and finally there was a whisper. And what we see from this is God is not always going to be in the noise. In fact, I don't believe God is in the noise. I don't believe God is in the hurry. I don't believe God is in the ruckus or the, the, the rage or the fire of life. I believe he's in the solitude, the quiet. He is the gentle whisper. We took a moment in our worship time for that today, and it was refreshing. It was awesome. Not that it isn't good to have sound and stuff around us, but if you want to hear from God, you try walking 40 days and nights alone in a desert. You try getting out and hearing God and all the noise and the ruckus. You won't. But if you listen for his whisper, he'll speak to you. Now, I want to tell you another story today because I told you I wanted to be authentic with you. And this is a story. Uh, it's, a, it's an excerpt from my latest book that I'm working on called The Satan Project. The Satan Project is a story re-imaging of uh, the book of Job set in modern times. I've taken a different vein with this story. I'm not going to with, go with the traditional vein of um, you know, pain and suffering, although there is plenty of that. I believe Job is a study of the battle between good and evil, between God's judgment and God's care for us and his ultimate destruction of Satan, but this battle that goes on. And I want to read a, a section of it to you this morning. I've prayed about this a lot, and I really feel like that this is what, something that God wants me to share because it epitomizes who I am right now. The Satan Project, chapter 14, later that night. The only thing between me and a cold park bench was a tank of gas in my car. This was probably the last night in a material object that seven days ago was my pride and joy. Tomorrow, I would sell it for pennies on the dollar. Tonight, I sat alone in a darkened parking lot, praying for hope, searching for peace, 
begging for mercy. Laying my head back, I groped for the power seat button and, and released the crackling leather tomb. Like a box to the grave, I reclined deeper and deeper into the leather and into the abyss. Screaming like a man shot in the gut, wretches of despair swallowed me like a mammoth into a hot steaming pile of black oily tar. My car blended quietly into a blackened church parking lot, a church where I once stood with hundreds, clapped my hands, raised my arms, and whispered prayers. Tonight, I sat silent, desperate, and supremely alone. I knew before it became certainty. I was on the edge of a severe anxiety attack. I'd had plenty of them the past few months, and the reality of what they looked like and felt like didn't escape me. Lying in my seat, I recalled my first experience of losing mental control and slipping into uncontrollable anxiety. My oldest daughter had recently divorced. My two precious grandchildren lay like lambs surrounded by ravenous wolves who were bent to rip their flesh to shreds. I saw myself a helpless bystander. My wife and I threw money at the situation. We cried, we consoled, we screamed, we rant, we raved. Nothing save Elohim's intervention was going to fix this epic problem of mega proportions. Save the world. Didn't matter when I couldn't save my family. Mix in a dash of work, plenty of bills, ridiculous weather, it was piling up like two and a half feet of snow in nine days. And that's when it happened. The nail in my coffin, the belt across my back, the boot up my butt, the straw that broke the camel's back. What was this deciding vote in the race of my life? My sweet little dog, Misty, of 11 years, died. Don't judge me until you've lost a pet that you've loved for more than a decade, don't judge. But thinking about it now, relaxed in my freezing, cold, black leather car seat, I knew it wasn't the death of my dog that tipped the scales. Although she was there in some of the darkest days of my life, the aha moment was the grim reality that my margin of life was exceeded. My limit overspent. My reserve tank had run dry. Suddenly, without warning, I was plunging off the road of life, hurtling through space into a deep, dark lake of fear and uncertainty. If you've never experienced an anxiety attack, let me explain it to you in simple terms. Essentially, irrational thoughts began sliding across your forehead, squirming into your brain. Well, at least that's my experience. Psychologists tell us it's different for each individual, but basically a feeling of impending doom can be accompanied by trembling, sweating, heart pounding, and other physical symptoms. The reactions are tempered by the body's natural mechanisms. For some, the skin tightens, causing increased blood flow, which produces flashes of, or throbs of pain in the, in the head, the arms, the legs, and the chest. Blotches of, of blackness may sear the vision, but most strange is the the overwhelming sensation of disorientating thoughts which began enticing the body to contemplate doing serious damage, imploding your life. Uh, a secondary and less harmful reaction is to believe that uh, horrible, strange, and, and irrational things are going to happen to you and to your family and your friends. For some, it melts down to a single solitary word, suicide. 
People began asking themselves, what if I just jerk my car headlong into that giant truck coming my way? Would, what if I, would I fly if I hurtled myself off this cliff? My anxiety, aka my panic attack, reared its ugly head in the form of sleep deprivation. No matter how hard I tried, I, I just couldn't shut my brain down at the end of the day and eradicate this endless stream of daily data. I fell into what they call microsleeps. And microsleeps, as they call them, don't enhance the activities of your upcoming day. Microsleeps or deprivation day after day, and you will become a mess. I looked it up. After just 24 hours of no sleep, you have impaired decision-making skills. After 48 hours, your immune system becomes vulnerable. And after 72 hours of no sleep, your body begins literally shutting down. My eyes are closed, but I'm awake. Black floaties swish beneath my eyelids. My breath raggedly escapes my open mouth. The moment my body hits the sheets, it begins an itch, a creepy, crawly rash of warmth spreading like a spilled drink on a table. Running for the edges, it splits into two forks. The first fork of heat streaks down both sides of my back, splits my legs, and races for my toes. The second fork slides around my hips, zips up my spine, circles my neck, and climbs to the tip of my auburn-colored hair. Like a piece of raw meat soaking in a crock pot, I fight the heat the itch. Rising in frustration, I bolt from my bed and race to the shower, stripping off my cotton t-shirt and soaked underwear. I step into the coldest water my skin follicles can stand. Shivering like a wet puppy caught in a downpour, I pound my hands on the shower wall to shed my anxiety. Clicking off the downpour, I reach for the towel, dab off excess, fumble for clean clothes, and flop back on top of still damp sheets. Inhaling deeply, I blow the excess through a small hole on my lips. Whew. Rolling to my side, I punch my pillows. I beg Elohim, God, for sleep. Just a few hours, please. A small cough slips from my dry throat, and I reach for my bottled water. Taking a tiny sip, I glance at my alarm clock, and it reads 1.14 a.m. Now, I've learned to play head games fainting my mind, luring my body to sleep. Tonight, I imagine myself staring at an elevator. The charcoal-colored door dings open without me pushing a button. Stepping in, I press my back into the cold, harsh ringing of the upper half of the carriage. The lights are dim, not harsh like an ordinary elevator, and smiling slightly, I relish the darkness as the faint whir of wheels and pulleys gives way to a slow descent. As the moments pass, order is restored and a deep euphoria spreads through my mind. All that matters is sleep. Faster than a crack of lightning in a storm, the elevator instantly leaps upward, surging like a blur of speed, seeking a new destination. My head bangs against the panel, and I feel the metal bar smash into my lower back. Helpless to stop the rise, I brace for impact as the elevator explodes into space. And I awake, writhing in the reality that I'm still conscious. Rolling over my eyes, glimpse the alarm clock. This time it reads 1.22 a.m. Moaning with frustration, I do the math, and yeah, 
I've been asleep for eight whole minutes. And it slaps me like a jolt across the ear. Once again, I am in utter darkness, supremely alone. I feel the itch begin forking across my back once again, spreading across my body. And blinking my eyes, my pupils slowly adjust, and I recall my present dilemma. It's little old me wallowing in a cold, crackling seat and a cart in a dark, deserted parking lot. And suddenly I'm freezing cold. And my right hand fumbles and finds a blanket lying in the passenger seat and jerking it up tight around my frigid body, I yank it level with my glazed, sleep-deprived, glassy eyes. And peering into the darkness, I hear the whine of the wind whipping through space. And the sound does not soothe the fire boiling in my back. Maybe my wife was right. I should just curse Elohim and die. And I would not be missed or mourned, just forgotten in a moment of silence. As you have guessed, this is my story. I recently went through a situation in my life where for the first time ever, I experienced severe anxiety. It was a time of extreme darkness. And I didn't know what to do at those times. I believe in Christian recovery programs. I see great value in talking to counselors, pastors, and psychologists. But I also believe in the journey that God had me on and that he takes ordinary people like Elijah, like myself, where we can find his wisdom and his strength and his power. And so what we do is we look at God, we look at his word, we look at the stories he gives us, we extract the lessons from scripture, we commit the experiences to memory, we learn from them, we repent if we need to, we accept forgiveness if we need to, and we move forward in confidence. And what I learned as I went on this journey, as I was in this journey, God showed me 1 Kings 18 and 19. And this story changed my life because I saw this great prophet Elijah in 24 hours go from a man on top with everything going his way to completely despaired. You could say depression. You could call it anxiety, whatever you want. But no one leaves everything and walks for 40 days and nights alone into the desert if there isn't something wrong. But when he gets there, God meets him. But he asks him this most simple question, not this most profound theological debated question. He simply says to him something probably your own parents have said to you, your own kids are going to say to you someday, you're going to say to everybody, what are you doing here? The same question that so many of you have asked yourself, even being here at North Central, in your life. And here's what I came away with to finish. Number one, manage your margin. Very simply, manage your margin. Life's going to happen. You're going to have responsibilities, but manage that margin in between your responsibilities and what else you can do. I'm going to tell you right now, here's my word of caution for you today. Don't add anything into your schedule the next six weeks. Stephen Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You're here to go to school. How dare you think it's anything else? Finish this thing. Get it done. If you add something, you're putting yourself in danger of receding your margin, and Satan will come and attack. Manage your margin. 
A lot of things are good, but not everything is expedient. Secondly, then secure your support. Get people around you. Don't break relationships. Add people who will encourage you, who will strengthen you. There are people all over this campus who want to help you. Our Student Success Center is going to have an anxiety workshop next, next month. There's people there that will talk to you. I, I'll tell you right now, I know that President Hagen, Dr. Graham, myself, we will stop what we need to do and help you. Others will do that same thing. Other deans, professors, these people care about you. We can't do anything if you won't let us come around you. See, part of God's direction to Elijah was that he was going to go, and he was going to find his new mentor, his new trainee, and that was a guy named Elisha. That happened on that mountain, up there on top, when God said, what are you doing? After he got it straightened out, God gave him instructions on what to do next. And then number three, we practice the presence. I'm going to tell you something. I believe, here's what God said to Elijah. He said, oh, now you go back. Wait a minute. You're not going to whip me up in a cyclone and deposit me back over where I need to be? Nope, dude, you're walking. 40 more days. And he actually sent him into the desert of Damascus, which was probably another couple days just for good measure. So all that way, what do you think he's doing? Oh, man, I hate this. This stinks. This is horrible. I don't know about you, but if I was up on a mountain and God showed me the fire, the wind, the earthquake, and then he whispered to me, I'd be saying, praise Jesus, hallelujah, I'm going back in victory, God's with me, I know I can do this, I'm going to overcome that itch, I'm going to overcome that rash, I'm going to overcome that disease, I'm going to overcome that serious study habit problem I got, I'm going to overcome that relationship that's in my way, I'm going to overcome whatever God brings my way, because he is with me. I heard him in the whisper. I know it's real. It isn't some noise. It isn't some ruckus. It isn't some rage. It's his voice speaking to me in the whisper. If you want to hear from God today, get that spot, the presence. Practice it every single moment, every single day. If you don't, when you're in trouble the next few weeks or the next few days or somewhere down the road in your life, because I'm going to tell you something, you may be sitting here today, you may be saying, not me. You're not talking about me. You, 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 I can't even believe you're sharing this, man. What are you, you're supposed to be some professor, some doctor, some pastor, and you're talking about having anxiety? Well, you should just pray through, brother. Well, I did pray through, my friend, and God showed me some stuff that I want you to see, and that is that no one is exempt from the attacks of the enemy, and he will come and get you if you're not ready, and so you need to be in his presence ready, and he will say to you when his time is coming, when that time is coming, I will be there for you. And that's what got me through it. And it's what God will do to get you through what you're going through. Stand with me because I want to finish with this. And I will not sacrifice this because this is what God gave me to finish today. And this is how we will finish. Don't leave. Don't leave in the middle of this. It's about three minutes. It's going to change your life right now. You're going to close your eyes right now because I'm going to pray with you these prayers that God has given me for you today. Father, as we approach your throne... We know the word of God says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Father, we come to your throne today in the face of all doubts, in the face of all the assaults of the devil, in the face of the forces of darkness to boldly confess your word. Father, we want to dwell upon your word that you have spoken unto us. Your word says that we are delivered. We are delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your son, Jesus. We want to thank you that you, we are not going to be delivered. We are delivered. Your word teaches us 
that there are two kingdoms, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. We know that in the kingdom of darkness there is misery, demonic power, doubt, unforgiveness of sin, sickness, oppression, mental anxiety, and deep depression. We know that in the kingdom of darkness Satan is Lord. There are demonic forces which harass and vex the members of that kingdom. We once walked in that kingdom when we were lost. As your word said, I walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit that now works in the course of this world, according to the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. I know, Father, I walked in that darkness. I was so unhappy. I did not have eternal life. I did not have the joy of the Lord. I walked according to the course of this world. But Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that one day the Lord Jesus became my Lord and my Savior. And I want to thank you that one day he called me as he called every one of us into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And by your grace and your mercy, you revealed Jesus to me and I made him my Lord. And when I made Jesus my Lord, I was delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your dear son. I have been delivered. We are delivered in the name of Jesus Christ by his name and for it and by his blood. We're delivered from the power of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of light. Satan, you have no authority over me. You have no authority over these students, no authority over anyone in this place. You have no power over me, no power over these students, no power over anyone in this place. It is only our ignorance that has given you any power. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Satan, we have given you place at times in our lives, but today we determine not to allow it to happen again. You have no authority and no power over us whatsoever. We have been delivered from all of your power, Satan. We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, leave us alone this day. Father, we rejoice that the devil has no legal or spiritual authority over us whatsoever. We walk in the kingdom of your light. We live in the kingdom of your light. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, your kingdom is not sickness. It is not evil. It is not wickedness. It is not vexation. It is not trouble. It is not sorrow. It is not anxiety. It is not depression. We walk in the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We are the kingdom of righteousness. We are in the kingdom of peace. We are in the kingdom of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in, your, in Christ's precious and most powerful holy name. Amen. If you want to pray, you can come on up here and we'll pray with you. Like we said, we're here. We want to help you with your support. Otherwise, go in his power and his grace today.